0: holla babes. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts Brandon. And I'm
1: that other host, Angel. That
0: other host. And this is your twice monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense.
1: Yeah, why bother? Fuck it. I mean... Why bother making sense of anything? Live the mystery. Live, love, laugh. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. My gosh.
0: Uh, We're wired as hell. It's the eve before the eclipse. It's the fourth night of Hanukkah. And we want to do a pretty brief intro to this episode because we have a really beautiful and kind of long, uh, (laughs) spirit talk with Don Kilhefner, who has been on the front lines of gay liberation for over half a century. Uh, Full disclosure, he's also my therapist. Uh, He's a Jungian depth psychology expert. He is a shamanic practitioner. Uh, He is one of the co-founders of the Radical Fairies, and he's basically the gay Yoda.
1: I mean, he's just like a wealth of knowledge. I could have talked to him all day long. Yeah, he is... Also just like the
0: biggest hearted human. Yeah. So we didn't really want to edit it down too much because it was all so good. So without making this like a two hour episode, we're just going to kind of roll right into some quick little check-ins, a cosmic update, and then get you to the spirit talk. Yeah. Oh, but we should probably introduce ourselves.
1: Oh, right. Uh, I'm Angel Lopez. Yes, you are. I am a writer. I am a producer. uh, I am an astrologer. Mm Mm-hmm. A teacher, mm-hmm. a queeler mm. and a damn good time. That is true. You're all those things.
0: <laughs> and you? I'm Brandon Alter. I am a healer, a queeler, a tarot reader, an astrologer, I'm a writer and a performer, and I'm also a damn good time. You can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can also be a really miserable time. We don't have to get lunatic. okay. Uh, all um, right.
1: You're also my
0: hubby. We're married. And, yeah, so let's check in.
1: Yeah, please.
0: Well, I've been in the deep rabbit hole of trying to find us a new mattress. You've been down there in the rabbit hole with me. I have been. I was there for two hours today straight. It is mind-boggling how many different types of mattresses there are. And uh, One particularly when you're trying to find, like, a natural organic one. The S4 side sleepers. Yes. <laughs> As we've learned, all sorts of sleepers. Um, but beyond that, my check-in is just, uh, well, it's been sweet. We took the menorah out from the closet and we've been lighting the candles for Hanukkah, which has felt very meaningful. And we're getting closer and closer to the end of the year, wrapping up our tarot class. This coming week is going to be the last Astro Club of the year. We had our last breath work. So I'm looking forward to a couple weeks of refilling my cup and some replenishment and some downtime And watching lots of movies. We've been watching the gay Lifetime and Hallmark movies. Yeah. And honestly, they made me cry.
1: Oh my God, it was so cute. I mean, particularly that Lifetime one I thought was great with Fran Drescher. I mean, what a
0: dream that was. It was so adorable. Yeah, Fran Drescher is an icon. Weird that she was not playing a Jewish woman (laughs) because Fran Drescher is just like so iconically Jewish. Yeah. But you bought it. You were like, yeah, she's the queen of Christmas. Fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: To balance that out, we're also watching Veneno. Oh, my God. On HBO get Max. Get to
0: HBO Max. And I think HBO Max has like a free one-week trial.
1: Oh, yeah? So
0: sign up for the trial, watch all of Veneno, and then get back to us. I think it's my favorite thing I've watched on TV all year.
1: Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, we're only a couple episodes in, so we haven't watched the whole thing. But I can't imagine it, go, it would go too far south because it's so beautiful. These are so our Aries placements that are
0: like, it's the best thing we've seen all year. We've only watched 20% Right. Of it. We watched <laughs> 10 minutes of it last
1: night, and we're living. But I stand by what I said. No. We watched two full episodes.
0: Yeah. So that's my update. I'll keep it short and sweet. What about you?
1: Uh, I'm honestly good. I'm... Today, I'm looking at my cards from today. I'm Mm. the Four of Cups.
0: Yes. Resensitize yourself to your life, to your heart, to your emotions.
1: I'm feeling emotionally fulfilled. Gorgeous. Right now. And stable. Wow. Well, that's unusual. (laughs) You know what? Lately, it is. And by lately, I mean the last 30 years. years. (laughs) Oh, wow. You're being kind. Well, you haven't known me that long, so... Um, but yeah, and I also, in my Kim Cran's animal deck, pulled the spider. It's also feeling very connected to, you know, weaving my own web of creating my life. She visited you last night. Yes. She's been visiting me every day. When you've ushered her back out into the backyard. Yes. <laughs> she shows up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, we also had our, like you said, our last breathwork healing circle yesterday, which... Um, Is always just so amazing. And um, for any of you out there who've participated, thank you so much. Um, they've just been such like healing little centers for me every two weeks. And uh, looking forward to more in the new year. And also, really looking forward to Astro Club this week. Um, I mean, we've always had our webinars, but um, uh, I feel like we've kind of like shifted the energy since we rebranded it Astro Club. And they just feel like fun little gatherings. So looking forward to that and, um, yeah, and more of those as well. So doing good. Love it.
0: Love hearing it. You seem good. There's Thanks. a buoyancy to you.
1: Yeah, I'm having it.
0: That I always find attractive.
1: Oh, well then let's get through this quickly. <laughs> okay,
0: enough. All right. Here we go, everybody. It's time for this episode's Cosmic, Cosmic Update. update. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, interestingly, you should mention my buoyancy because Jupiter is at the end of Capricorn, Mm. which means that it's making a perfect trine to my Jupiter. Oh, my God. And Taurus. Well, there you go. You're very Jupiterian right now. I am. I am. I'm just like optimistic and fun and a little um, physically heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Can't stop eating cookies and crackers. Sorry. It's the the end of the year. What are you going to do? It's all good. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my body. I'm grateful for my being. I'm grateful for cookies and crackers. <laughs> and you all should be too, um, unless you obviously have. Well, they have gluten-free options. I mean, that's the ones we're eating. Yeah, that's true. So um, if you need any wrecks, yeah, reach out. Um, so the thing we have to talk about really is the big Saturn-Jupiter conjunction right on the solstice on the 21st at zero degree Aquarius. I mean talk about a gateway
0: yeah i mean this is the sort of conjunction that only happens like once every 20 years it hasn't happened in an air sign for like hundreds of years so this is pretty major it's kind of as major as the saturn pluto conjunction earlier this year and it really opens up a new 20-year cycle around aquarius themes because it's happening right there at the gateway to aquarius zero degrees And anything that happens at zero degrees in your chart, we always say it's like baby energy, meaning like you're coming in to learn it for the first time. So Jupiter and Saturn, and they're the two teachers of the Zodiac, they're coming together to open up class for Aquarius themes. So class is in session, everybody.
1: Yes,
0: I love that. So Jupiter and Saturn have very different styles of teaching, even though they're both teachers, and they both have the same outcome. They want us to grow. They want us to learn. Right. But Jupiter expands... Gives gold stars, takes you out for a pizza party after class. Yeah. Saturn restricts, is the disciplinarian, will only see you during office hours. And so both of them coming together at the same point are kind of giving us an opportunity to expand into Aquarius themes, but also take responsibility for Aquarius themes. And you may remember that Saturn has already been in Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Saturn was in Aquarius this year, 2020, from about, when was it, babe? Like it March. Like April, May, June. Yeah, April, May, June. Mm-hmm. So social distancing, social restrictions. Uh, social justice, all the protests happening. This is very Saturn in Aquarius, taking responsibility for humanity. But there's also this Jupiter quality, which is the abundance and the blessing. And Jupiter, you know, is like the watering can, kind of grows everything. But Jupiter's been very restricted in Capricorn because Capricorn is a tight squeeze for a big planet. Whereas in Aquarius, even though Aquarius is also kind of co-ruled by Saturn, it's a sweeter placement for Jupiter. Jupiter can stretch out a little bit more. And so I think we're going to be able to feel a little bit more of that buoyancy and that optimism because optimism is a key word that connects to both Jupiter and Aquarius. Aquarius is the sign that rules hope in terms of how we connect with other people and taking responsibility for the groups and the communities that we want to find ourselves in.
1: And I think, you know, very important to, like you said, take responsibility for that optimism, but but also, you know, we have to really take responsibility for our personal growth, you know? So it's really important to pay attention to, You know, if you can, where this is happening for you, what area of life this is happening for you in, because it's an opportunity to really focus, you know, intention of personal growth in that area and really see, you know, perhaps how that was triggered for you earlier in this year, you know, in that April, May, June window and kind of revisit that, but in a brand new way, knowing that now it's like, you know, we're fully going through that door you know this this Saturn Jupiter uh, conjunction it is a big thing but it's also fleeting it comes and then we move and then we're charging forth but but it is you know we're still going to be feeling in it as the two of them kind of dance in the first couple of degrees into January together um, but we've already also kind of been feeling it because they've been dancing a couple degrees apart at the end of Capricorn so i think in general We've all been probably feeling like a lot of like big endings energy and big beginnings energy, all kind of dancing at the same you know, time in our lives. And I think what's exciting is that this is hopefully <laughs> the opportunity to finally step through the doorway into the beginnings, you know, that the endings will start to taper off.
0: Yeah, it feels like a major new beginnings energy. Mm -hmm. And I love what you say about taking responsibility for your expansion, taking responsibility for your growth and your learning, because that's what we were talking about earlier this year with Saturn and Pluto. It was taking responsibility for your transformation. And now that you've transformed, you're a new version of yourself. I mean, just think back to who you were in February of 2020. And now as this new version of yourself, what do you want to grow? How do you want to expand? In what direction do you want to start moving? I think of Jupiter, you know, as this watering can kind of grows everything willy-nilly. It's like King Midas, right? Like King Midas turned everything to gold, the good and the bad. Everything was gold. And so the same thing with Jupiter too, can expand things that maybe you don't want more of. So important to use the Saturn energy and take responsibility for what you want to grow. Yeah, Because, you know- If you're paying attention to the things you don't want, that's what's gonna grow. You know, you are what you pay attention to in a lot of ways. Exactly. And Saturn can teach us that.
1: And some of them even see yourself as like growing into a more authoritative figure, you know, and to really come to understanding around what it is that you can be an authority on. You know, what, you know, yes, the transformation has occurred. So now just stand in your personal growth. You know, where can you be a teacher? You know, where can you show up for others? Um, How can you uh, be the adult for others when needed?
0: I love it. I mean, these are all themes that I think this spirit talk is going to unpack. It was like the perfect, and we didn't even plan it. Thank you, spirits. Um, The perfect spirit talk to kind of end 2020 on. So I think we'll leave you with that little cosmic update, and we will head into this episode's Spirit talk. So we are here in the spirit room, and we are so honored to be sitting with Don Kilhefner. Full disclosure, Don is my therapist. I also think of him as a mentor, and he has been on the front lines of gay liberation in Los Angeles for how many years, would you say, Don? Uh, 51 years. 51 years. And Don is also one of the co-founders of the Radical Fairies, which I'm really excited to chat about at some point. And you're a gay tribal elder, self-proclaimed, is that correct? Uh claiming, yes, claiming
2: of <laughs> a gay tribal elder.
0: And I'm excited to talk to you about eldership and what that means and why we need it. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. So welcome. Thank you for being yes, here, Don. Thank Dawn. you so much. Yeah. Nice to be
2: with a spiritual gays.
0: Thank you. So I kind of want to just dive right in and I really want to draw you out on the relationship between queer people and spirituality and our role in humanity. And just queer spirit and where does that come from? And we've talked about this, you and I at length, but I really want our our listeners to get the benefit of your kind of deep well of knowledge around the function of queer people in society. This
2: is a topic that I have been obsessed with uh, for the last 51 years. And that is why are there gay people? Why do we exist? Yeah. Because we know from evolutionary biology that a trait does not exist from generation to generation to generation over millennia, unless that trait is contributing to the evolution of the species. So that's the really the important question. Why are we here?
3: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: our oppressor, heterosexual supremacy. Has defined us as a sex act. Mm. and many of us as gay people at one time or another have internalized that oppressive identity. Yeah, and what I'm saying and other people are saying is no, no, no. There's something else that we're doing in society. Now I, I'm taking the long way to get to your question, so I haven't forgotten the spiritual.
0: Most- no, please take the long <laughs> road. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it.
2: Uh, there is somebody by the name of Bruce Bagamil. Most of you probably haven't heard of. He's written a book called Biological Exuberance. Biological Exuberance. On his own, he's a Canadian. On his own, he researched all the articles, peer-reviewed articles, anywhere that dealt with gayness in every species. And he found and documented 300 Vertebrate species, 300, in which there is same-sex courtship with sexual contact. Hmm. Over 300. Wow. So the question of whether we're natural or not is entered by him. We appear everywhere. Hmm. E.O. Wilson, E like, uh, the letter E, O, the letter O Wilson, one of the preeminent scientists in the United States, Harvard professor, preeminent uh, biological uh, evolutionist, has written in a, a book called On Human Nature. Uh, quote, homosexuals may be the rare carriers of the altruistic impulse in the human species, unquote.
3: Wow.
2: He's saying we're about altruism, idealism, Joan Roughgarden, uh, now retired, an evolutionary biologist at Stanford University, has written a book called Rainbows Evolution, where she looks at other species and the human species. And she says, we carry the cooperative principle in the human species. Altruism, we're everywhere, altruism, uh, idealism, and cooperation. Evolutionary biology at one time in the 19th and early early 20th century uh, said the alpha male, the alpha female, is what causes our species to keep evolving. The second half of the 20th century and 21st century said, oh no, 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 that's wrong. What allows our species to evolve is cooperation. It's those species that have a cooperative structure to them, uh, are evolving. Now let me get back, Rough Garden says we carry the, the cooperative principle, E.O. Wilson says we carry the altruistic, idealistic principle. Those are spiritual concepts, cooperation, idealism, altruism. Now we're talking about spirituality. So if we redefine who gay people are, and by redefine I mean we don't see ourselves as sexual beings, but we see ourselves as spiritual beings, uh, corroborated by science, evolutionary biology, that we are doing something in the evolution of our species, or we wouldn't be reappearing uh, millennia after millennia. The earliest finding I could find of a same-sex union uh, is from something from about 2000 B.C., 2000 Egypt. Wow. There's a glyph that that's, uh, talks about two uh, men living together uh, in matrimony. The, the man happened to be the hairdresser to the pharaoh.
0: <laughs> You're kidding!
2: <laughs> I, 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 I almost fell off of my chair at UCLA <laughs> when I read that <laughs> with laughing, just like Oh you.
0: my gosh!
2: I know uh, one of the earliest epics that's ever been recorded, coming out of the Sumerian civilization between the um, Tigris and Euphrates rivers. What's today Iraq is the Epic of Gilgamesh, and the essence of that. Epic is of two men falling in love with each other and becoming inseparable, Enkidu and and Gilgamesh. So what I'm saying, we've been around for a long time. We've been um, around before there was written history. And the question is, why do we keep reappearing? Uh, Millennia after millennia after millennia. Uh, And you and I are the most recent addition of that tradition. And I would say heterosexuals are primarily responsible for the reproduction of our species. Gay people, LGBTQ people are responsible for the spiritual evolution of our species. Hmm. Cooperation, altruism, and many, many other traits that we carry. So getting back to that question, um, uh, there is a connection between spirituality and gayness. It's true in other, uh, societies as well. I think I once turned you on to a writing by Maladoma Some. Yes. An elder and a shaman who comes out of Burkino Faso. And in his culture, gender is determined not by the plumbing between your legs, but gender is determined by the frequency of your vibration. Mm-hmm. And those people having the highest vibration are people like you and me, gate people, let's be And their role in society is as gatekeepers. What do I mean by gatekeepers? They are responsible for keeping the gates open between the visible world and the invisible world. Because if those gates ever close, um, a society will implode. And so the highest ritual role among the the Dagara people in Burkina Faso is to what you and I would call gay and lesbian people. Mm -hmm. They would call them gatekeepers. You get it? And that is found throughout the world. Wherever you find pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, pre-Islamic societies, major societies, you're going to find gay people playing an important spiritual role. Now, that was a long answer to a short question. But. A beautiful answer, <laughs> no, though. it
1: was so powerful. And I <laughs> welled up, I laughed, I cried. I, <laughs> but honestly, I mean, what's interesting, just the, the spirituality of it, but it's really then like, I guess the heterosexual oppressor, as you worded it, but that has really sexualized us to some degree, right? And has tried yes. to sort of take away the spiritual nature.
2: You know, there's an evolution
1: here, and we're at the threshold of an evolution in uh, our
2: identity and our role in society. So what came before was not as evolved as we have today. So we're dealing here with a process that has evolved over time. But today we're at that threshold where we as gay people need to redefine who we are. And this represents a revolution in gay consciousness, revolution in LGBTQ awareness of who we are and what we do. It's uh, no longer allowing the tail to wag the dog.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What we need to do is begin examining that dog and finding out what what role he's playing in society. Uh, and that, I think, is, is the work of your generation, uh, my generation was the gay liberation generation. We fought back and created a a clearing in the forest where people like the two of you can have a life openly as two gay men loving each other and living with each other and creating spiritually. You two are living spiritual lives. You're contributing to the community spiritually. Just as E.O. Wilson and Joan Roughgarden said, you guys do.
0: Hmm. So there's this sense that there might have been an over-identification with the sex act. You got it. And that we're all healing that to some degree. That's part of the evolution is to reclaim our identity from the lens of the heteronormative oppressor that just sees us as what we do in the bedroom. You
2: got it. What we've done in the last 50 years is incredible as a, as a, a group of people. Uh, nobody ever has moved a society as quickly and as fast as we as gay people from 1969 Stonewall hmm. today, 50 years, 51 years. We have um, created a community. We've created a positive identity, even if it's still based on sex. And uh, we continue to contribute to the world, whether or not we, we know it. But now we have the opportunity to take it to the next step. And again, keep asking, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I here? What is it that my role as a gay person, not just as a human being, but as a gay person, uh, is all about? It's much like uh, the yin-yang symbol of of complementing and supplementing each other. It's not like straight people are the enemy. They are doing what they are doing. Reproduction, survival of our species. And it's a hard job. I I was a third parent in helping to raise uh, two children, and believe me, uh, my admiration for heterosexuals increased tremendously. <laughs> but you know, children, I don't see how they do it. but That's not our role inside these gay people. Our role is, is something very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear uh, a third member of the family
0: going <laughs> up. Yes, our child. No are yeah, doing I, a terrible
2: I job. <laughs> I know, him. I met him. Indeed. <laughs> uh, anyways, well, how does how does all the, how does this flow over the two of you as young gay men?
1: How does this flow over the two of you? Um, well, a lot. I'm I'm just like in. I mean, I'm just inherently emotional, <laughs> as Brandon can Go attest ahead. to. Um, so I just have like a just a bubble of a feeling underneath everything you're saying. I mean, what comes to mind is just my question of you know why we. <laughs> as gay people became the enemy, you know? Were, were we a threat to heterosexual identity? Is that why it was all sexualized? Was it because we were a threat to their sexual identity because some of them weren't perhaps entirely heterosexual? Ah, uh, That could
2: be. Um, I, I trace it primarily to the three major monotheistic religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That in those three religions, we were basically supposed to be stoned to them, that they defined who we are as uh, sinful and unnatural. In pre-monotheistic religions, that's not true. In temples in India, even in temples in ancient Greece, there are uh, engravings of gay men loving each other. I mean, Greek culture is much closer to us and throughout Greek, ancient Greek culture, there was um, same sex relationships going on. So it was with largely with the introduction of, of monotheistic religions, father-centered religions, that the idea that we were unnatural and somehow we had to be destroyed. So we're talking about maybe 2000 years Prior to that, in largely hunter-gathering societies around the world, we don't find that today. And pre-colonial societies, we didn't find that. Maladoma Somi is a great example of that. Among traditional Africans, uh, that's not true. There's a role for us that we play that's very important. Gatekeepers are very important. The missionaries tried to take that away from them Tried to tell them the opposite, and some people believed it. Others, like Maladoma and his uh, village, didn't believe it, and continued with the old idea that gatekeepers are very important.
0: So for those of our listeners who are really resonating with what you're saying, but they don't necessarily have a traditional culture to plug into, how can people begin to tend to the sacred nature of being a gatekeeper in their life?
2: Uh, I I think they probably are already doing it, Mm. but are not conscious that they're doing it. Um, There is a video on um, uh, YouTube, and I wish I could tell you the exact name, of an Irish physician talking about his gay son who has read E.O. Wilson, and he says, Oh, that's exactly what my uh, son is doing. Now that I have those different eyes to look through, a different pair of glasses to look through, I can see my son playing that role in our family. He's a counselor, helper, um, uh, what have you. We are doing it, whether or not we know we're doing it.
3: Mm, Beautiful. And two of you
2: are a good example of this. You are living a life where you are contributing to society, as in a in a spiritual manner. The spiritual gaze.
0: The spiritual gaze, exactly. Yes, doing it. We are After doing you're not
2: it. Not too conscious of it. You're doing it. It's much like gravity. It doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity or not, or whether you're conscious of gravity. It's still holding us to the earth. It's still operating, even though we don't know it. I love now, it. we know about gravity, now we're, we're trying to know about why are there gay people here? Why do we keep reappearing and reappearing all the time? Anyways, uh, back to your question, Angel. Uh, it's only been in the two, last 2,000 years that this persecution of gay people taking place. And it, 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 it parallels uh, monotheistic religions in the West primarily Catholicism and Judaism, uh, and Judaism actually is, is less intolerant than Christianity, and we've been defined by in a hetero, heterosexual supremacy culture, we've been defined as inferior. And as inferiors, we need to be destroyed, one way or another, either physically destroyed or intellectually destroyed but we need to be destroyed. And one of the things that Gay Liberation has done is reverse that process. We fought back and said uh, incorrect. And we didn't ask them to accept this. We developed self acceptance. And that's an important thing to understand. Prior to the Stonewall, the Stonewall Rebellion, Gay people were looking for acceptance, saying, we're just like you are, except for a few things we do in bed, the sexual definition. The Gay Liberation Revolution said, oh, no, 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 self-acceptance, accepting ourselves as good and and all human beings. And it doesn't give a fuck whether they accept us or not. We accept ourselves. And we fought that. And it changed uh, society in two generations.
0: It's really interesting, though, hearing you talk about it in this context, it makes me realize that we have over 2,000 years of really damaging programming that we're still healing from. And so the internalized homophobia, the internalized over-identification with being gay as just connected to a sex act, even though liberation has cleared a field for us to start to explore these things... It seems as though there's a lot of us, myself included, that are still trying to crawl out from underneath that 2,000-year-old boulder of shame. Amen. And so I'm just wondering, in your expertise and with all of the people that you've helped and connected with over the years, how can people begin to root out that internalized shame and self-loathing? How can people begin to heal?
2: Uh, Well, we're doing it. We're doing it. One way is to get involved in the community in some way or another. Mm -hmm. What makes the advances possible that we have made is we've created a community where we assume responsibility for each other. Mm. That didn't exist prior to Stonewall. After Stonewall, communities here in Los Angeles in particular, uh, uh, a gay community was started and something called the Gay Community Services Center where we actually opened a facility that said with a sign on Wiltshire Boulevard, we're gay, we're a community, we're providing services to other gay people, and we're, a, we're the center around which we would like a community to coalesce that it worked. Today, that center operates on a budget of uh, $147.5 million, wow. has 700 employees, wow. uh, owns real estate all over the city um, uh, but it's, its assuming responsibility for each other community becomes one of the ways that they begin to change reading i don't think you'll, you'll you'll get it on visual culture i don't think you'll get it from a screen generally you'll have to read get a get a subscription to the gay and lesbian review or leading intellectual journey Begin to read biographies of people like Whitman, and Harry Hay, and what have you. Begin to find out about your history. Find out where you came from. You can't know where you're going until you find out where you came from. Jewish people have done an excellent job of that, of keeping their history alive so that uh, can be traced back thousands and thousands of years. We as gay people have 50 years. Since the Stonewall Revolution. So we're still at the beginning of this, but finding out about your history. And then uh maybe considering some of these new ideas that are circulating about the role that gay people play in society.
0: Beautiful. Well, I'd love to shift a little bit and start to do that. And start to ask you and draw you out about the radical fairies. Got it.
1: And I would just say I, you know thinking about it yeah I, I grew up you know in a pretty what I felt was a pretty oppressed just you know upbringing and um, I eventually escaped to San Francisco and um, when I was 18 and I do feel like that really helped shifted me quite a bit and um, yeah it definitely helped shift me quite a bit and the radical fairies were such a presence. Um, in my life there. Um, but I was always very uh, apprehensive to get fully involved because it was such an invitation to liberation <laughs> and personal acceptance that I think as a young gay kid, recovering Catholic, recovering Catholic, oh, or yet at the time. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah, probably like nineteen. I was working at the Tower Records in the Castro, and <laughs> just you know, dipping my toe into it all. But was definitely probably much more into like club culture <laughs> and bar culture. But was sort of feeling the call into the the spiritual realm of it. And I remember going up north toward like Guerneville and going to like sort of an sort of a woodsy party and feeling like oh this. This feels like a world I want to be in. Of course, I'm very I'm probably generalizing the identity of the of the fairies to some degree. but um, but all that to say, just the like sort of realm of the radical fairies was something that just kind of played like a role, and I think was always kind of in the back of my mind as like a place I always wanted to end up. <laughs> um and so before we even talk about it, I honestly just wanted to like thank you for launching such a movement, because even as as a young kid like me in the mid '90s, um, already that felt like just the you know the the knowledge of them and the brief interactions with them that I had felt like even an invitation into me. Shifting from gay as a sexuality to a spirituality.
2: Amen. Yeah, that's what it was about. Back in the um, 1970s, Harry Hay, who's an important historical figure in and for our people, Harry uh, uh, was a person who got the Mattachine Society founded in 1951, which was the first organization. Uh, that focused on uh our oppression as, as as gay people they called them homosexuals at the time and um uh, harry and i during the uh, 1970s kept in contact with each other uh by telephone by uh, postal mail um i would uh, he would visit la periodically i would visit san juan pueblo where he lived in in New Mexico along the Rio Grande River. And um, by the end of the 70s, Harry and I were getting a little concerned about where gay liberation was going. It it felt like it was moving more in a gay assimilation direction, Um, uh, what today we call heteronormative direction. Uh, more and more people were saying, oh, we're just like you, we're just like you. And again, the radical were, the fairies were saying, no, we're not just like you. You're no, we're, we're not antagonistic to you, but we're not like you. We're doing something else in society. So the radical fairies were founded by Harry and I back in 1979 uh, to uh, begin to... Uh, uh, um, propagandize even this new concept of what it means to be gay. Harry had developed an understanding of something called subject-subject consciousness. Harry believed that gay people carried a different consciousness than straight people. Straight people carried a subject-object consciousness. She was different than I am. I am different than she is. And out of that difference in consciousness, it evolves in a certain way, including having children. With gay people, it was um, uh, same, same consciousness. I and another man were uh, um, subject, subject in our relationship with each other. And out of that difference in consciousness, we live our lives differently. We carry a different purpose. It's not um, a and children. It's about that spiritual world that we've been talking about. Now back in the 1970s, nobody was talking about this. So that's why we wanted to call the radical fairies into into being. Uh, And um, we found an ashram out in the Sonoran Desert, uh, east of Tucson. Uh, uh, a little jam of a place with a swimming pool and like, just the kind of kitchen we needed and there wouldn't be anybody other than uh, gay people there. It turned out the Swami who ran the place was also a gay man. <laughs> 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 oh, everybody there was, was a gay, spiritual, gay, gay people playing a spiritual role. There was the Swami, a gay man um, running a classroom. In any case, um uh, we sent, you know, this is before um, the internet. Uh, so we sent out, we got a leaf, made a leaflet, sent it out anywhere we could all over North America. And we thought we would be lucky if we got 25 people, maybe even a couple more. But we didn't, we were not expecting the over 200 gay men who showed up. Wow. Yeah, got it there, it was trapped in to something. And the focus of those three days together, Labor Day weekend in 1979, was to begin to look at who we were as a people and what we're contributing to society. And after that, those three days, those over 200 gay men spread throughout the country and started radical fairy gatherings. And then it spread to Europe. And now it's spread all over the world. Uh, uh, Thailand, Australia, you name it, uh, where there are radical fairy communities, where there are radical fairy sanctuaries, where there are radical fairy gatherings. Uh, And the books are not the radical fairies. But basically what the radical fairies were about is developing a different consciousness about what it means to be gay, one that um, is formulated outside of the framework of heterosexual supremacy, which tells us who we are, and we're saying, no, we're going to be telling you who we are, and how we are beneficial to you, and how we're beneficial to ourselves, and that was the essence of the radical theories, and as I said, they, they spread all over, all over the world, Uh, doing their works. It's now, they celebrated in 2019 40 years. 40 years, the radical fairies. Still in operation, doing what they were doing. In 2019 there was an international gathering of radical fairies in England, uh, in in the countryside, in a castle in the West. uh, That was sold (laughs) out. They couldn't even take any more people because uh, they were uh, sold out. And depending on where you find the Radical fairy, they'll be different, it's very localized. Harry and I wanted to make sure we did not become the popes of the Radical <laughs> 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 And so we did everything to make it decentralized that fairies, wherever they were, they create, created the fairy circles, they created the community, they created the sanctuaries. Uh, all we wanted to do was uh, to plant a few seeds And hope that uh, they grew, and they did. Uh, Angel, I loved uh, what you said said about the radical fairies. How they frightened you and how how you were drawn to them. Uh, Excellent. I love that story.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were such an embodiment, I think, of just the life I wanted to be living, you know, the freedom I wanted to be, you know, having from the inside out. Um, and yeah. there was a fear of that, right? And I still imagine. I still find myself in that space. You know, I still find myself, um, you know, walking into a predominantly heterosexual space and feeling that fear. And that's, I mean, I think I've definitely gotten to a point where I'm able to push through that fear more and say, you know, fuck you, I'm here, and you're going to deal with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think it's challenging. And I think us, you know, as, you know, being people who are helping to create community, you know, I, I feel for the, you know, the, those who are younger than us now, who, you know, we see still kind of their fear, their, you know, their nervousness. I mean, how has it been sort of holding space for so many people going through these like spiritual and emotional transformations?
2: Uh, That's, uh, for me, that's my spiritual work. I was, I um, came to LA uh, because I had a fellowship for a PhD at the University of London and at UCLA. And I didn't know which one to select. So I was in the airport, not a cyber, but I slipped a coin, came ahead, Los Angeles. So I came here, I thought this <laughs> was a strange, strange city. And as soon as I got my PhD in um, African history, Islamic history, I was going to split to the East Coast. And, and then Stonewall happened. And uh, I you know I, I turned my head for just a second, and it became my life. It went in a completely different direction than I was planning at that time. I was planning to go to the East Coast, get a job teaching at a university, and that was going to be my life. little did I think I would end up as a community organizer uh, in the gay community in Los Angeles.
1: So you said then Stonewall happened. So where were you when Stonewall happened? I was
2: at UCLA Uh
1: uh,
2: reading about it in the uh, LA Times. And I was actively involved at that time in the anti-Vietnam War movement and social justice movement in this country. And I read that and I thought, this is about me. This is about my life. Mm-hmm. This is about my freedom. How can I work towards the liberation of other people and not work on towards my own liberation? So I got involved in gay liberation and organized the gay liberation front office here in Los Angeles. And one thing led to another. But it was really that understanding that I as a gay man was impressed in a uh, society that practiced heterosexual supremacy. Let me just say uh, a lot of people use that word homophobia, and I'm suggesting to people that's a wimpy word (laughs) that really suggests it's a psychological term that says um, that people are afraid, they fear homophobia. Would you call white racism, would you call that white phobia? No, you wouldn't, uh, because that's not what it is. Or um, um, male supremacy, as far as women are concerned. And we as gay people, thanks to the model of Black Lives Matter, need to get in the habit of, saying heterosexual supremacy, or supremacy for sure. Because that's the system we're caught in. It's not a psychological, it's a political system that, uh, that has oppressed us and that's what gay liberation fought against it was that political system uh that uh constricted our lives and was trying to get rid of us one way or another
0: no that's really important and yeah. i really appreciate hearing it framed that way
1: yeah because i think queer people tend to forget that i mean our identity our identities are inherently political identities
2: hey, Amen. right now we are right. and we need to do use what we have to uh, enlarge that clearing that we created in the forest and make it a spiritual role, becoming clear the, the political leading to a spiritual role.
0: So Don, you're clearly a, an activist, yes? At a minimum. Yeah, and I'm curious how you would just talk about what it means to be an activist and what is the role of activist in society?
2: For me, what it's meant is beginning, it depends on the period of life. When I was in my late 20s and 30s, it was being a warrior,
3: hmm.
2: fighting back, having mm-hmm. up been going into battle against wherever we found heterosexual sexual supremacy, oppressing our people. So it was fighting back. In my 40s, Uh, a more spiritual orientation developed. And then it became more about uh, healing and uh, uh, creating a different uh, identity as I've been talking about. Uh, And involved in that time was uh, my study of shamanism. Uh, I studied for eight years with Michael Hunter at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And, Uh, uh, I began to reorient my life on the basis of my own development, continuing to work in the gay community, but uh, from a slightly different perspective. Shamanism is important because wherever shamanism was found traditionally in the world, it was gay men and lesbians that were largely those village shamans. And there's lots of historical references for this. So that my interest in shamanism uh, was a natural evolution for me as a gay man, tapping into a legacy that goes back thousands and thousands of years, and uh, starting doing um, workshops here in Los Angeles and elsewhere called Seeing in the Dark, an introduction to gay shamanism trying to bring back into the community an understanding that shamanism is one of the roles that we historically play. I'm not saying that they're not heterosexual shamans because there are, but I'm saying we are in those roles, medicine roles, way out of proportion to our numbers in the population. Hmm. And so during that period of 40s and 50s, uh, it was uh, working as a Jungian depth psychologist and shamanic practitioner. Um, Then when I got moved towards my late 50s, I began to realize I'm moving into a different stage of my life. I'm becoming an elder. And so the last 20 years of my life uh, has been spent uh, facilitating intergenerational dialogue and cooperation and claiming the role of gay tribal elder. That um, the something that is missing from our society is the role of the um, queer elder, and trying to develop that role in the community, as well as um, uh, facilitating intergenerational consciousness. Um, right now, there's a group of uh, 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 made of uh, made up of young, uh queer men from. 22 to 82, and everything in between. And what we're doing is we're trying to create a book, an anthology called Becoming a Queer Elder, colon, Eldering and Intergenerational Consciousness. Hmm. At beginning in January, we'll be sending out a call uh, around the world uh, soliciting submissions to this book Trying to bring into greater consciousness and community uh, the role of elders and the importance of intergenerational uh cooperation, communication, that there's a profound interdependency between youth, adults, elders, and ancestors, that any kind of healthy community needs to have present in it. So that's the most recent thing that I'm working on mm-hmm. as a, a gay tribal elder. So, in, so it depends on the what age I was. My own evolution as a gay man in terms of what I was doing. Um, warrior, healer, elder.
0: Hmm. And I'm curious, it's a big question, but if you now at 82 years old could give advice to yourself at 40 or 42 years old, do you have any idea what you might say?
2: Uh, I, I know exactly what I would say. Uh, You need to become aware of what the central organizing principle of being adult is because at 40, you're at the peak of being an adult. Hmm. And the central organizing principle of an adult, I would suggest, is being engaged in something larger than your ego and something that benefits the community. Hmm. Where I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, adults were Volunteers in the fire department, volunteer party. They were organizing a youth center for the youth. Uh, there was no town library. They were organizing a community library. you get it? Yeah. Adults are involved in something larger than yourself and something that benefits the community. The second role of that adult is mentoring. Elders do eldering with adults. Adults do mentoring with youth. Hmm. So what is missing in the gay community today is that adult role. People assuming an adult role, assuming a mentoring role to our young. Um, I should not be doing that mentoring. Right. Adults, people your age need to be doing that mentoring sure. with our young people. Uh, and they need it. They're asking for it. I was talking to a 22-year-old just on Friday. And he said to me, "It was it was very moving." He said, "Don, you re- you need to realize that we don't know about intergenerational anything. Uh, we don't know that there are older people that are interested in our well-being. We can't find them, and they are not finding us. Uh, we don't know about intergenerational things. Yeah, because elders are missing, because adults are missing in fulfilling their role in society." Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I would answer that.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that leaves me with more questions than before.
2: <laughs> uh, 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 let's do it. We have four more minutes.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I am curious, though. You know, you mentioned earlier, you know, that we're, I mean, we're in a revolution, you know, that it is a bit of a yep. revolution. How do you think we're doing? I think we're doing excellent. Oh, great. I that's think, nice to hear. I think in the last 50 years,
2: what we've achieved is just outstanding. 50 years ago, if you were here in Los Angeles or any major American city, there was no community. It just didn't exist. There were police raids on what few things we did have where we could get together and people being arrested. We had people in the mental health industry telling us we were sick. We had churches and synagogues and mosques telling us that we were unnatural and needed to be eliminated. That was 50 years ago. Uh, 2020, that's no longer the issue. We have a community. We have community organizations. We have people like you, gay men, who are have a positive self-regard for yourself. It's, it's been a revolution that's taking place in the last 50 years. Triggered by Stonewall. Triggered by Stonewall, the Stonewall Rebellion where gay people fought back and that's what's necessary. That's the political party. And especially in the last four years with Trump. Yeah, Because um, I, I have young people, I, I worked a lot with young people and I have them to say, we're, we're, we're afraid of coming up. We're afraid of what's gonna happen to us. There's a lot of violence against black people, against Latinos, against women. There's a lot of violence and we're afraid that that violence will also be directed at us. And they're correct, that it is a dangerous thing. It it reminds me very much of 1969, where we were afraid, we didn't know what would happen to us if we came out, if we started Um, organizing. There were people, when we put the sign Gay Community Service Center in front of the building on Wilshire Boulevard, there were people who called us up and said, you gotta stop that. You got to take down that sign because the police are going to raid us. We're going to get arrested. Yeah. And today it's different. But there are young people who are afraid to come out because of hetero supremacy. It has inched forward again. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't know what question I'm answering, but uh, <laughs> that's the answer to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But no, it seems like then it's only more important for those of us who are able to be out and feel stable in that situation to to do so and let those other people know that there is community here. There are people who got your back. Um, right. and yeah. Well, there
2: are two important dynamics in place that we need to be aware of. One is what uh, I learned this at Howard University in Washington, D.C., where I got a master's degree in black history. And I learned it there that in the black community, there were two important processes. Acculturation, integration into the dominant culture. And the second was acculturation, inculturation. Acculturation, integration, inculturation where a culture was developing internally, which was black culture, and that both of those can exist at the same time.
3: Mm.
2: Where we are right now is we only have one of those, gay assimilation, gay assimilation, that we're no different from heterosexual, and therefore our lives should be no different from heterosexual. James Baldwin, the gay man, once said, whenever, quote, whenever a minority group Assimilates into the dominant culture. It always does so on the terms of the dominant culture.
3: Mm. Unquote. Mm. So
2: that's assimilation. James Baldwin said that very simply. I what Harry Hay and I and the Radical Fairies and other people are suggesting is inculturation. We need to find out who we are and be able to transmit that to the dominant culture. Not asking for them to accept us or assimilate us or integrate us, but to be able to see what we're doing in culture and to begin to appreciate that.
0: It's very interesting because I think that heteronormative white supremacist culture has always been very interested in adopting. It's cool, right? Like to take from black culture, to take from queer culture. Absolutely. Um, And
2: and claim it as their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Elvis
2: Presley um, uh, being shaped by Black musical culture in Mississippi. But at a certain point, it was Elvis doing this. Right. Black people. Yeah. Excuse me, I I I cut you off.
0: No, I don't have a question or even an insight. I'm just (laughs) connecting some dots here, which is really interesting that there is this kind of... It's like the energy's traveling in both directions simultaneously.
2: Yeah. Two like, things are happening at the same time. Yeah. You know, with the Black community, with the, the gay community, the enculturation is happening. Well, it is happening, but not in terms of valuing our contributions to society.
0: Well, and what I want to offer up is that I think perhaps the enculturation is still happening through, an, through a through le- Like I I don't know if a lot of gay people have entirely identified that they're still looking at themselves through the eyes of heteronormative culture. They haven't quite stepped outside of that programming to see themselves as nature would see us, as spirit would see us. And so... And so even like pride celebrations or this over-identification, as we've talked about, like with the sex act, you know, I, I think about just like every shirtless gay guy on Instagram, you know, there's this sense that there's a homogenization because we're still just looking at our value from the perspective of straight culture.
2: Yes. Uh, And I'm glad you brought up the pride celebration because that's a great example of what's happened since 1969, since the Stonewall Rebellion. At one time, those were Gay Freedom Day celebrations. Yeah. They were marchers. Today, they've become rainbow capitalism.
0: Totally. Like every so company.
2: liquor companies. Work. Yes. Yes.
0: It's, a, it's offensive, right? Like one month out of the year, all of a sudden, the liquor companies and Best Buy and Costco, and they're <laughs> oh, like, yeah. oh, we support you because it's and Pride has Month.
2: nothing to do with our agenda. Nothing no. to do with discovering who we are. It's about rainbow capitalism.
0: Yeah, they buy, want our money. Buy,
2: buy, now.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so that, um, I I think what happened in New York last year is important, where there was a counterpoint uh, parade called Reclaiming Pride. Reclaiming mm. Pride. Reclaiming Stonewall. Where that consciousness with young people was coming in, that someplace we've lost our way. Hmm. Somewhere we've been bought out. Somewhere uh, we become gay assimilationists. And as a result, we, we lose something. Something is lost in that process. And if you take it to its natural end, it means that there is no thing as a gay community. Right. Oh, it's gay people are no different than straight people, and therefore there's no need for a gay community, and there's no need for a gay identity based on what we're contributing, to because we're just like everybody else. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and we have all bought into seeing gayness, queerness as like a flaw or a wound subconsciously, as opposed to a power and a superpower.
2: Well said, Angel. Extremely well said.
1: So if we can all stand it. in it as a power, you got it. You can't fuck with us.
2: And that power is doing something to society. It's keeping us at what's called an open evolutionary system. We're continuing to evolve because what we are doing in society and what it'll doing in society. They're taking care of the reproduction. We're taking care of the spiritual needs of the community.
1: Well, I wish they'd just keep making more of us because <laughs> how do we get them to no, don't worry? They're making too many. <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
0: Well, Don, I just wanna say thank you so much. I realize we're getting to the end of our time together. So is there anything else that you would want to share with, you know, our oh, community? Yeah, there is
2: something as I said earlier we're working on bringing out a new anthology, exciting new anthology called Becoming a Queer Elder. Um, uh, go to the website queerelder.org queerelders.org queerelders.org and see if it speaks to you and we'd love to have you contributing to that anthology.
0: Beautiful. And how can people find out more about you and your work and your offerings? Uh, they can
2: email me at Don Kilhefter, D O N K I L H E F N E R at S, sexy B as a boy, C as in cute, uh, Email me, and I'd be glad to engage you.
0: Well. It's always a privilege to just kind of sit at your feet, Dawn, and just to
2: <laughs> You never sat at my feet.
0: <laughs> <And> not <laughs> metaphorically, you know, by the river I where you. we sit. I'm teasing you. I know you are. Um, and I'm just so this is the first time that you've ever gotten to meet Angel, too. So hey, it's so I nice. Know I'm
2: impressed. Why okay. I'm well, can't why well, came out of his mouth? I'm
0: impressed. Yeah. He's a keeper.
2: You're a good, you're a good pair.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: No, I'm I'm glad the two of you are together.
1: Um, But please let me say thank you so much for all the work that you've done for our community, um, for me personally, um, not just in keeping Brandon. Correct and <laughs> <around>. <laughs>
2: around. so thank you. <laughs>
1: um, but honestly, for just like keeping our community and just I, you know, now realizing like just um just even subconsciously, unconsciously, all the ways that you have touched my life and your work has touched my life. So um deeply grateful and uh working toward being uh, a rightful uh, helpful elder sometime in my future too got it
2: and i am grateful for the spiritual gaze you guys are causing trouble
1: we are <laughs>
2: yeah, <I love> it.
0: <laughs> we're fucking shit up
2: <laughs> you got it i love it peace be with you
0: and uh, also with this you
2: DM, isn't it
0: yeah but i yeah. mean yeah
2: no, <laughs> <laughs>
3: all
1: right everyone well i truly hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed facilitating that conversation. Um, He really is a legend and a love of a human being. True queer icon. So um, we, of course, are going to do our tarot card of the episode. But first, if you recall, we actually had a little bit of a giveaway That we were going to do.
0: Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. We did not forget. So if you're still here at the end of the episode, you might have won.
1: Yeah. So we wanted to just do that. And we basically took care of it in advance of the episode. So we just want to announce the winners. If you recall, it was about leaving a review somewhere out there in the uh, cyber stratosphere. And thank you to everyone who did so. And we read all the reviews that we got via Facebook and Insta and...
0: Podbean and iTunes. And we we aggregated them all. (laughs) Angel wrote a list of everyone who did and numbered them, did not tell me the numbers, and then asked me to just choose two numbers out of the sky. Yeah. And so that's how we chose our winners.
1: So our winners are receiving mini readings from one of us. So first up, receiving a reading from Brandon is Lily Witch Eleven.
0: So if you are Lily Witch Eleven, just shoot us an email at thespiritualgaze at gmail.com and we'll figure out how to get you hooked up with a reading with me. I'm so excited to meet you, Lily Witch Eleven.
1: Yeah, and Lily Witch said, I listen to a lot of spiritual podcasts, but this one is by far my favorite. Brandon and Angel are so charming. Oh, Thanks. Stop. Personable, oh relatable, funny, and human. Well, Truths we fair. are. Uh, while talking about the big spiritual questions of life, I often laugh out loud while listening and learn some deep new perspectives. Thanks, guys, for making such a good show! Exclamation points. Well, thank you, Lily Witch. I know. Thank you. Um, all right, and now receiving a reading from me uh, is the lovely t sterling yes t sterling uh so also yeah just shoot us an email yeah and we'll set it up i'm so excited and uh T said a few months ago, I kind of randomly signed up for Brandon Angel's tarot class. So we, of course, know who this is now. We do. Uh, And by the end of the first class, I knew I had been led by my higher self or God X or something super divine. And what? They have a podcast I get to dive into, and it's just as rad and fun. High five, God X. High five, hire me. Yay. One high five you. And we've loved having you in tarot class. So I'm excited that I get to share some time with you, uh, in the world of astrology.
0: And so thank you everybody who left a review and entered this little giveaway. We will be doing lots more giveaways in the new year. So stay tuned, keep connecting with us and let's dive into the tarot card for this episode. Give it. So just take a couple of nice deep breaths, just get centered and grounded and get ready to receive a little bit of guidance, a little bit of power. A little bit of healing. Connect to the cards by hearing the sound of them being shuffled. And just trust that this message will resonate for you no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. It's the death card, everybody.
1: So listen. Right on cue.
0: The death card is also the rebirth card. Both of these energies are contained in this one major arcana moment. And I actually think this card is perfectly illustrating what we've been talking about these last couple weeks, which is that beginnings are hidden in endings. So death is about change and transformation. It's about understanding what needs to be released, what needs to be recycled, what needs to be let go of in order for the new, in order for the rebirth, in order for the beginning that you're ready to have. So whatever side of the veil you are on, in terms of are you still in the letting go phase or in the beginning phase, and maybe you're one foot in each, just keep moving forwards in that process. And sometimes death is a little scary because we're saying goodbye to things that we know. Even if we didn't like it very much, at least there's like the comfort of knowing. And now we're going into something unknown. But just know That whatever you're heading towards, if your heart is open and you're paying attention to the signs, is more in alignment for you. And remember that death is an ally. Death is not out to get us. Death is not punitive. Death is not punishing. Death is truly here to help us move forwards with what our soul came here to do. Death is number 13 in the tarot, which adds up to four which also reminds us of the emperor. And so death, in a way, is also foundational. Death gives us a new foundation. And so if you feel like 2020 has shaken you to your foundation, shaken you to the core, and you've had to rebuild it, then trust that that rebuilding of the ground level of the building of your heart is sturdy enough for whatever you want to put on top of it now. Change, babies, change. Whatever you're asking about, whatever you need to know, the answer is time to change.
1: Yes. We're ready. We're ready, peeps, for the change. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. Um, For those of you who've been listening to us for two and a half years, for those of you who've been listening to us for two and a half months, or if this is your first time listening to us, welcome to the party. We're so grateful. Yes. More party to come.
0: We're going to put out a little episode in two weeks. It's New Year's Eve, Mm -hmm. but maybe you want to celebrate it with us. We'll just do um, probably like a little mini episode just to stay in touch with y'all. And then we can't wait to be back in 2021 with all sorts of fun offerings, new guests, episodes that'll blow your mind, and (laughs) community expansion.
1: It's going to be an extravaganza. Angel, tell the children where to find us. You can find us at thespiritualgaze.com. That's the best place. You should sign up for our newsletter there. Um, you can also find us at thespiritualgaze on Instagram, spiritualgaze on Twitter, or thespiritualgaze on Facebook.
0: Thank you for being a gazer. Thank you for connecting with us and growing this community. We are so grateful to be able to serve y'all And we love getting to put faces to names and names to faces. And until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual game.